This is the Mentors for Military podcast. Scott, give a little bit of background, Scott Garrett, as to your background, if you don't mind. He was a Playgirl model of the year for September of uh, 2006. He's an international man of mystery, vociferous lover, giving gentleman, and a learned scholar. But enough about Scott Kinder. (laughs) (laughs) So I was a summer retired special forces warrant officer, uh, was a weapons guy before that, had six trips as part of a special forces ODA, another three trips doing some different stuff overseas in harm's way. I got about 12, 12 years in special operations. I mean, this is one of those subjects I think that people know about and and we might talk about in small circles, but it's not discussed a lot, I think, in open forums. And I don't know if it's just one of those taboo things that people don't want to touch on or what, but they know it's there. They know it could be an issue or a problem, but yet, um, you know, it's, it's one of these things, maybe they don't feel comfortable talking about it in certain circles. Well, I think I'm happy to kick it off because partly because it was my idea talking to Scott Garrett here. But, um, you know, and I can easily start it off by saying that through through my travels in these veteran organizations, you know, the GBF, the SFA or whatever else, it's really shocked me to hear the number of rehab and addictions and issues and stuff, not just alcohol, but I mean, across it. And so that conversation that, that Dan Garrett, Scott and Garrett and I were having yesterday led to the you know, how do we become a better me and we have to take time to be better people and whatever else. And, and, and that's when I started texting you, Robert. So the, the genesis of this has been my utter shock in finding out the numbers out there and the costs associated with that, because again, every podcast I end up saying it, but we've been at war longer than ever in history, blah, 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 whatever, whatever. But, you know, when, when we're talking to other veterans, if you mention alcohol abuse along the veteran community, if you mention PTSD, you mention those types of things, people don't tend to want to open up about it or they talk about it in a third party sense. I was just saying, they keep it in close quarters. I mean, you think in the military community, um, drinking is, you know, is well known in the military community. But I think too, when you're, I mean, just in my my, actually, I do stories of personal experience. Being around the guys or the gals, it's it's more freeing, and I think it's a non-judgmental, um, you know, setting. But then when everybody leaves and goes, you know, crosswinds, then then what are you left with? You know, you're not your camaraderie, your friends, they're gone, and and all you're left with really is a cheap distraction to what your real problems are. The the other piece to the alcohol is when people are stuck in that because that's what they do. And then when they get out, they're not identifying with what's next. And so how to be a better you when you're stuck in in a rut of sorts because you were you had camaraderie, you had other things. And then when you get out, you're like, well, what's next for me? And so you hang on to those things that are negative in your life, like alcohol, or you develop addictions to fill voids because you really don't have anywhere positive to go. And so for a lot of people as they transition out of the military and they, you know, their whole life just changed, uh, they're looking for those those positive things, but they don't know how to do it because they can't. But they're in that rut of addiction, and so it's a, it's a negative thought process, really. Uh, I think for a lot of people. 
you know, when I came in the military, and I'm gonna I'm gonna show my age here a little bit, but when I came in the military, you know, we would go out after we came out of a deployment or we came off the field or whatever the case, we would go out and someone would not only uh, be charged for trying to gra- grab all the sensitive items and stuff that need to be turned in, and we were all doing weapons cleaning. Um, there was at least one or two people that was charged with going out and getting a couple cases of beer or um, getting some ice in a garbage can and throwing the beers within so that when we got done turning in sensitive items and weapons, we would then start partaking and partying. And that's before we went home to our loved ones. And so it was that type of attitude and approach that was very much within the military. And I think a lot of that carried on over time as well. Kevin McCall in Fort Bragg today with the, the president of the National Special Forces Association, who's a retired command sergeant major, special forces guy. And, you know, he's talking about, you know, the beer light being on at Friday at two o'clock in the team rooms and everything else. And it just, you know, it, it becomes part of the overall culture. It's just what you do. I mean, before you go home for the week, you have beers with the dudes, you know. I think that's part of the um, the, the problem with it, you know, and, and you talk about substance misuse and alcohol misuse within the forces. I don't think it's seen as misuse when you're in the forces because it's such an ingrained part of the culture that, you know, everything relates around beer at some point and and you go out on exercise and you come back and you have beers. If, If you're on camp Monday to Friday, you know, Thursday night was the night out with everybody before people went home on a Friday, Friday in in the UK, we used to finish, um, we used to do kind of, PT at uh, 10.30 on a, on a Friday morning and then everyone would go off to their homes on um, at lunchtime. But those people who were staying in camp would go to the bar. So often by 4.30, 5 o'clock, I was paralytic, you know, in the <laughs> afternoon. And you're still in uniform on camp in either... I used to be going to the, the, the corporal's mess as, as a, a sapper, you know, and they used to sneak me in and somebody give me a spare rank slide because there, there wasn't many people, uh, my ranks who stayed on camp and we'd, we'd be, like I said, we, by four thirty five o'clock be paralytic. And that was just part of the, the, the thing. So you'd go downtown after that Saturday morning, you'd be up kind of 10 30. They do a brunch. You'd have a quick bit of food and you were straight back downtown again, Sunday, rinse and repeat, same thing again. And then you'd be into Monday morning, you know, and then Monday kind of used to be a day off. Tuesday would be some kind of football game on, and we used to go up the bar on a Tuesday. Wednesday was sports afternoon, so you kind of used to finish um, around 1.30, and the idea was that everybody go and do some kind of sport, often ended up in the bar somewhere, and then you're back into Thursday again, you know. So we was kind of drinking six days a week, and that was encouraged throughout all the ranks, you know, and everybody used to do similar things, whether you were uh, junior NCOs and privates, whether you was a sergeant's and warrant officer's mess, or whether you was the officer's mess. And because of that is ingrained in the culture, it's it's completely across the board. And anything good has a, a drink involved with it. Anything bad has a drink involved with it. And you can't get out of that cycle. 
not just one or two drinks, but I mean, you know, I remember, you know, leaving the government and the teens and, and coming to the civilian world, especially in Australia. And Aussies aren't known for not drinking either. But I mean, we would have barbecues and I would look around and go, that's not nearly enough alcohol. I mean, for everybody coming over, you know, I mean, the, the and then my wife would go, these aren't SF guys or, or military people. These are, you know, civilians or friends of mine. So um, it's just like you said, it becomes that norm. And then before you look, you realize you look up and you've drank 24 out of 30 days that month. And, you know, you, you, you've just been hitting it hard and using that as that coping mechanism kind of wrongly. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I found an interesting statistic as well or some discussion around this whole thing you know, from the alcoholrehabguide.org, a nonprofit. And what they said was is that veterans also are at risk of being diagnosed with what they call a co-occurring disorder. I don't know if you've heard that term before, but a co-occurring disorder involves a diagnosis of two conditions. So it could be substance abuse and mental health disorder, as an example. So those are co-occurring disorders. Uh, so, for example, if a veteran falls victim to alcohol abuse while suffering from anxiety, both conditions must be addressed and treated together. But if left untreated, a co-occurring disorder can lead to more serious health complications in the future because you only address one issue. So the other issue could bring itself back and could reinvent itself, basically, as some other co-occurring disorder. For instance, if they were using alcohol, they may not replace that with drug use. Well, and you can you can. You look at it like with me being mental health um, is my passion, but it's, it's like, if you think about it, if you don't, if you don't address one of the issues, they trigger each other. So you're actually falling back into like a vicious cycle of re from all the progress that you've come from trying to treat one mental health disorder or your addiction, not dealing with both of them will trigger mm -hmm. the other to kind of bring it back to full force. And I think another, a huge, um, you know, aside from the culture is we are uh, well, not so much lately because we're trying to get away from it, but we are in a, in an environment where feelings are non-existent. So when you do are, I mean, you can even still be in the service or, or transitioning out of the service, but when you're in an environment uh, that is full of drinking and then coming out of it, um, we don't, like to talk about our feelings and we kind of remember our experiences from being in the military or knowing that other substances and alcohol can mask feelings. So instead of dealing with the issues that we're, you know, we're coming face to face with, um, our own demons, I guess you could say a lot of us like to, you know, mask those uncomfortable issues with alcohol and which in turn creates a bigger problem. Um, afterwards so and that's i mean you're seeing that a lot with veterans and and a lot of times too when you're coming i'm just reading this um on the addiction center it's talking about of course ptsd or uh, battle fatigue shell shock a lot of different symptoms come out of um, that diagnosis so you know flashbacks memory problems low self-esteem or self-worth um, trouble sleeping relationship problems aggression trouble concentrating all these things are they're overwhelming so it's really easy to find an, an external substance to mask those problems so that you can go on with your day. I mean, a lot of times, I mean, and even and it doesn't even have to be, um, you know, a legal substance um, uh, going. I mean, the whole veteran suicide and, and the VA um, prescribing opiates so frequently. I mean, a lot of times a vet will just go in there and say, hey, you know, I am having pain with this. And they give him morphine or Vicodin or whatever. And it's like, well, I'm having pain with this still. And they, and they may be not. They just know that that's an easy access to a drug that can mask 
a problem, a deep-rooted problem that is black-labeled by if you were to want to have to deal with it, actually go through treatment to heal. Well, not only that, but sorry, Scott, we create cultures in which, you know, we, we can't, like you said, we, we mask our feelings, we can't admit to fear. And so we, we get to be masters of our domain in the military. And then the biggest fearful thing in our upcoming future is transition out or retirement or whatever. So we go back to masking those feelings of fear and we mask it through copious alcohol intake or other recreational or illegal drug use. And then at the end of the day, we're trying to morph into a civilian society that I've already said out loud a bunch of times doesn't understand us at all wants to keep us at arm's length and we're compounding a existing problem that we can easily just communicate through with a, a hidden problem and masking that through the you know the the debilitating intake like scott says scott johnson said you know just paralytic intake of alcohol and then we wonder why we're not more successful in the transition space well, then you you find yourself alone so it, it's much easier and safer for a person when they're alone and they don't have those people around them to fall back into something safe and so once you go like into be it opiates or alcohol or whatever the substance is, uh, it'll almost be their friend to keep them company is that state of mind that they're, they're altered in, which ultimately, you know, leads to suicides and, and combined with the mental health issues just takes you to a very dark place overall. You know, when Kat was talking about alcohol being consumed to kind of mask the triggers of trauma or to forget terrifying incidents, um, it goes deeper than that, too, that frequent binge drinking can really kind of start rewiring the brain because you build up that tolerance or um, that dependence over time, as you're, you're kind of describing. So there are other things that are going on, too, when alcohol enters the body. You know, it, it lowers the serotonin. Uh, which is a chemical that affects your mood, appetite, sleep, and memory, but it also, also affects the stress hormone that controls how the body reacts to different situations and, and events. So low levels of both serotonin and uh, these stress hormones have been linked to depression, and that's kind of what we're talking about. In, in veterans who suffer from mental health conditions, excessive drinking can make situations seem worse than what they really are in that type of situation. And this can least lead to an increased risk of self-harm downward suicide. spiral. Yeah, exactly. That, exactly. Which is weird because it's the opposite effect of the desired effect from the person drinking. They're, they're doing it so they think they can feel better. And then in the end, it just makes their situation exponentially worse. But they can't see that because they're masked. Yeah. It's masked by the alcohol. Yeah. So they, yeah. they and, and when someone tries to comfort them or come to them and say, hey, listen, you know, Scott, you got a problem. Um, the first thing they're going to say is, Look, I don't have a problem. I'm in complete control here. I know what's going on. Scott Johnson because I'm in complete control. So. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's not making the problem better. It's just making it tolerable. You know, because we don't, we don't want, we know, I mean, so obviously, and we're, most veterans are smart individuals. We know that we like drinking excessively is not a good idea. You know what I mean? And and for, unfortunately before we were doing it out of fun, but now we're doing it all the time by ourselves to not deal with issues. And that's the, that's the part that I think a lot of it comes from a, the shame factor of not being the hard charger that we once were and having to admit that we may be falling apart, you know, um, at the seams. It, it's, I think it's, it makes life tolerable medication, alcohol, and, you know, going into the being a better you and wanting to be a better you. Social media is a devil and you're seeing all your peers supposedly doing these great things, these amazing things, and then find out what the next day that they killed themselves. 
Yeah. And it makes you wonder, like, why, why, and why do they do that? Yeah. They're having, they had such it's a great the life. They, they want to put out there. Yeah. Exactly. So you can't believe the shit that's on social media. And I, like, I am constantly posting things about, you know, check on your friends, suicide, you know, how's everybody doing? And, you know, it's just that one thing that could, you know, maybe pull somebody out of it. But you really, you have to keep, especially with our peers and our, and our, uh, battle, you know, uh, brother and sister in arms, like, keeping close eye on them um, and really looking at the signs of what could be going on in their life is more important than just taking what you're seeing off of social media for face value. There's a lot of third party aspect of this too. You know, I mean, you're, you're affecting the family, you're affecting the friends, um, you're affecting loved ones that are around you. And, and uh, whether you realize it or not, there's some kind of impact and it puts them into a spiral, causes them to have other issues, could cause them to go into drinking or using some kind of other abuse. And at the same time, um, you know, it's it's one of these things where if it goes undiagnosed or if it goes untreated and everything, then it just ends up spiraling not only for you, I guess, but it also spirals exponentially for everybody around you. What, what I was going to say, too, with that is... Uh, having, I don't know, like nine trips into combat. Uh, so I have a host of people that I stay in contact with and I reach out to periodically. And one of the things that happens that I've, I've particularly noticed uh, since retired is that a lot of guys, they isolate themselves so much that you have to kind of go through and reach out to those people and try to engage them. I ran into a guy earlier this week, Scott and I were talking about, who had gained an ex- I did not recognize the man. And this is a Silver Star awardee, multiple trips, uh, every badge and thing that you can imagine. And uh, just the the life had gotten into him as far as just falling into alcohol. Uh, so it's, it is kind of incumbent upon anybody that knows people also to take that step and do reach out to those people that you know that maybe just haven't talked to in a while, that just kind of fell off your radar. Uh, and take five, what is five minutes out of your day just to reach out and call a few people from your past uh, for those that, that do have those connections? Because uh, it could literally make the difference in not only their life, but their family's life. Well, and I think in those types of situations, what we're talking about, too, is helping them identify that there is a better them. You know, there's a better me here in this situation. So, you know, you, you try to, to help them understand, to let go of the anger, to practice forgiveness, to be honest and direct, you know, to be helpful, you know, and those types of things that they've somewhat forgotten or they're, they're beating themselves up for. They're tremendous people. I mean, incredible people. And they totally have lost sight of that. Uh, just how great they really are. One thing that needs to change is the dialogue. I think people need to stop being scared to call somebody out. You know, it's so easy to call somebody out for being like doing a bad job at work. But I mean, to actually call somebody out and be like, hey, you don't seem right. Like, you know, you don't have to get into the nitty gritty details or whatever, but you don't you don't seem like everything's going, you know, well, great. we want, we want in our hearts to, you know, I want to put a Facebook post out there and then go, all right, all my, whatever, 10 friends, 400 friends, whatever, they're all fine. You know, I, I did my job, check the box, right? We don't want to do that hard right to Scott Garrett just mentioned, which is actually taking the time to pick up the phone and call somebody. And I'm just as guilty as everybody else because I'm on the phone all the time and you know the thought of picking up and voluntarily making a phone call that's not required in my day gives me the heebie-jeebies but you know we have to take that extra step and actually do something to reach out because 
our fear is that I don't want to hear the answer. I don't want to reach out to Kat and find out that she has something going on because now I have to, you know, divert more of my time and energy into actually doing that. That's a say, burden on you. That's yeah, another like, burden on yeah. you. Well, so, but I'm saying that we need to all man and woman the hell up and do the right thing and figure it out because we're the people who are hiding this up and hiding behind it are showing a massive problem right to our faces. And it's, I don't want to say it's this Florida school shooting thing, right, and go all political, but it's when a problem is there and on the surface and boiling, looking away and saying, like, I can't see you, I can't see you, I can't see you, you know, or I feel good about my Facebook post or my, my Instagram post or where I said, and I'm as guilty, right? I see, and Kat knows about this as well, she'll put out a post, like, checking all our friends, and I'll write her back and be like, hey, you okay? Like, what's going on? Like, are you feeling down? Like, so I misread into all these things all the time. Well, no, those are, those are blatant, cr- a lot of times, too, that is a blatant, like, not for suicidal ideation, that is a cry for help. People passively, aggressively do things, and I'm not saying I'm doing that, but they passively, aggressively do things like that where they're wanting somebody to reach out because they are too ashamed to admit that they are having issues. And Despite I and, Kat telling me 10 times, like, no, dummy, I'm fine, I still do it every time because I'm not very bright, so... Well, and, and I think, too... Oh, go ahead. I talk too much. Go yeah, on. I was going <laughs> to say that the, uh, when, he, when he mentioned something... Uh, you both kind of hit on something I think is important. Social media is your cyber persona. That's what you want everybody to think how awesome you are. And when you talk about actually picking up that phone and calling people, that's the real stuff. You know, that's, well, here- that's not me posting something. And it's it's very difficult. And I'm not discounting uh, posts that people put out there to just check on people. But I mean, when you talk to somebody versus when you text them, because I'm, you know, we're all big texters now. Because you can text something, you can. You can instant messenger, you can WhatsApp, you can 10 different ways to communicate, but there's just something to be said when you talk to a person that you knew in the past and you hear their voice and you hear their words and you hear where they're at. This uh, is what I want to say with the whole 22, okay, and no offense to this because I think it does bring great awareness to um, veteran suicide and, and the movement as I, and I'm not, I haven't looked into it, so don't take me for my word about raising funds and awareness and getting people to where they need to be. But instead of doing 22 push ups a day, why don't you message 22 veterans on Facebook? Why don't you just open the conversation? Why isn't there a movement out there that is making people talk to each other? Yeah, we might not have it, the face It's a feel good cat. And, and I did the 22. I know it's a feel I know you did. That's what I'm saying. Good. No offense. No, to I know. That do and that. I agree with you. It's And you know what? On like day three of doing my 22 push ups a day, it quit becoming about veteran suicide and it quit being this whole mandatory like, crap, Robert's going to mock me if I don't do like days three through 22. <laughs> so I got to keep doing my push ups and putting them on Facebook. Right? No, I counted them. It was, awareness. No part it, of it was about veteran suicide. It was. No, 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 absolutely not, because I do believe it is about veteran suicide because it not brings awareness to it. Okay, well, then oh, what, you're an anomaly. That's a lot of push-ups, man. I can't <laughs> but, do that. But it does – somebody took from that, hey, maybe I should check on somebody. or You know, it's always that one person, or you hope it's that one person. But, I I mean, there, I'm a part of this Facebook page, um, and I'm, I'm not going to go into what it is. But a lot of times – I mean, there's thousands of people on there, and a lot of times they'll just, like, go on there and write – I'm not having a good day or I'm not doing this. And the, and the response from people, they don't even know. I mean, hundreds of messages of, Hey, here's my personal phone number. Give me a call. Here's this. I can get you these resources here. And it's incredible, you know? And if we as veterans, I know we're not all a part of these like organizations or Facebook pages or whatever, but if we could all get on the horn, go through our Facebook friends or Twitter friends or Instagram, whatever, and be like, Hey, this is nothing personal. I'm just, 
doing my you know due diligence Robert. of just checking in on my friends. You know, I think who is, that who is that kid in, back in the mentors mixer days? Who is that kid that was on the chat room talking about like being off and whatever that we're trying to do? Remember that yeah. we're trying to do a live show and Talked like Rudy, the ledge, yeah, yeah. We were I, all like, whoop, like trying to make phone calls off the side yeah. and everything else. So, but you, in the military, that's what boggles my mind. In the military, we're all used to action and we do things because you don't survive in the military. And it's pretty easy, right? Right place, right time, right uniform. But those are all doing things, right? But in the in the civilian world, we don't do crap to help everybody. We, we want to think we do. And we do these, you know, whatever. And some of us do. I'm not putting the blanket, you know, whatever out there. But we have to be better as a society of actually – taking the next step and doing something. And Scott Johnson wants to jump in here. Robert, hold on, hold on. I've been, I've been holding longer. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> I have one, one point, and that is social media is about having communication. It's not about having conversation. And what we're talking about here is you have to have a conversation, which means two people, two-way communication in order to have a conversation. If you just text somebody and you don't receive a response, or if you're not having a conversation, which is better in like over the phone and actually having a conversation, you're really just communicating. It's in, they can put whatever they want out there. How many times have we sat down with an individual and you see certain body postures, you see certain movements, or you see eyes glazed over you, you see things with your eyes or here or whatever, you're not going to pick up over a text. You know, it's it's certain things that's going to go on there. And for me, it's about, you know, if we're going to talk about picking up the phone and, and actually calling 22, it's not I call and I leave a message. I have a conversation for a moment. But that that's for me, that's the catch 22 in this whole thing. Uh, because and, and, and the catch Kat touched on it. Yeah. <laughs> Kat touched on it earlier about the military is devoid of feelings, you know, and. That's the whole problem with this, because people won't give out face to face with somebody they know. And where you were talking, Kat, about the, the Facebook group that's got thousands of people in there, it's anonymous. People can go in there and put, I'm having a really rough day. And everyone chips back in and says, use my number, because you've got that disconnect between the person on the other end of the phone. You can't do that to somebody you know. And that's the problem with, you know, your suggestion of giving, while it's morally an, an outstanding thing to do, you'll put that mask back on again because you know the person on the other end of the phone. And you won't come across with what your problems are, especially over a telephone. And if you've got somebody in front of you, it's a lot high, harder to mask it. Because you can look in somebody's eyes and you see. You don't want to hear the, I'm fine, right? Like, hey, dude, you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I thought we were going to yeah. get deep for a second, you know? Exactly. Like, we want to yeah, hear that. Fine. And we're like, all right, did my part. He's fine. Yeah. So, so. Well, like a follow-up to that, like a literally over this week. So I set up and said, hey, we need to get together and do lunch or something. So I immediately called another friend of our, mutual friend that I know he has a tremendous amount of respect for. And I said, hey, give him a call. See what he's doing. I just seen him. Doesn't look right. And let's kind of let's kind of double team this thing. And so he set up a lunch for Tuesday, which he didn't show up to. So now we actually have a lunch with this guy tomorrow, uh, right around the corner from here, Red Robin. <laughs> but literally right around the corner from here, uh, just to see. But you know, you engage a person uh, through multiple people. We've got a text dialogue going, some phone calls, and then the guy bails. But we didn't give up on him because it's a dark place and we're like, you know, we're going to, we're going to keep on. So I've got a dialogue going right now 
we're going back and forth. So we're just going to continue to try to get this guy uh, kind of just back out and being social. But it takes that initiative. So- and you have to get your personal feelings out of it. Like, you nailed that on the head because a lot like, oh, you don't want to hang out with me? F you, guy. Like, no, you have to. And But that's what, like, honestly. I knew I someone that he liked way better than me. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. I know he likes this other guy. He respects him. And I know that he thinks he's cool. And he is. I mean, let's be honest. I'm not that cool. So, But I know cool people. And so I called them. I got to call them in. Uh, not the guy next to me. I was going to say, not, not Scott. <laughs> no, 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 not this guy. He's really not cool. <laughs> no, you have to get that personal gratification out of it because that's another thing that people want is recognition for what they're doing. And you got to get like, and people, and that's selfish and it's wrong. And, and unfortunately, a lot of people have an agenda, but seriously. And, and, and if you don't want the burden of having to deal with someone's issues, point them to somebody who, you know, that is able to help, like, Someone that who's licensed or, or in a profession, a professional environment. Yeah, he may not even want to have lunch with me. Maybe that's why he didn't uh, pony right up with that. He's hoping he wouldn't come yeah, back. He's like, Whew, thank God he didn't come back. <laughs> this other guy called. I want to go talk to him. He's going to exploit again, me for my problems. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to kind of pivot a little bit then. How do you become kind of the better me then? So what are the things that we can provide as awesome tips that people can take away to say, okay, if you were to start doing that, what are the, some of the things that I can I, I can do to change my current behavior? And one of those things that I've heard many times on social media and people do, and I know if George was on the podcast as a host tonight uh, from Softly, he'd be talking about this, and that's kind of waking up before sunrise and having some me time. Actually, you know, trying to take a few moments out of your day before all the chaos and everything begins and start focusing on you and thinking about, you know, ways in which you can make some kind of improvements. And for some people, it's actually keeping a diary or starting to write things about themselves that's going on and how they're feeling and expressing that, like you said, Kat, but maybe it's more an expression and how they're writing and how they're, they want to, to get it out off the chest, but they don't want to talk to somebody. But a diary might be a great way. One of the things that works well for me is I call it the Costanza. So whenever I have an idea, I, I do the exact opposite of the idea. And, you know, so I think like I should do X and I go, that's really not going to work out. So I do A instead. Um, I'm kidding. It do must the think exact you, opposite of gonna, what you think you should do. I was going to say, it must take you a long time to figure out what to do opposite each time you do something. <laughs> I, I would say this uh, for a lot of guys that have had traumatic experiences and just from my background, uh, having a bunch of different combat trips your mindset kind of shifts from being a nice person to a not as nice person. And so when you transition from military mindset to civilian mindset, you kind of have to go back to, you know, it's, it's okay to just be nice to people. Yeah. And to be grateful. I don't don't have to be upset. I don't have to be angry. I don't have to be forceful. I can genuinely just help someone. uh, And it doesn't have to be anyway. You can help a stranger, but just being a nicer person to everyone. And it sounds kind of corny, Pay it forward. Pay it forward is what you're talking yeah, about. Just, you can do something nice. simple like that. Yeah. I mean, uh, how many t- how many times have you gone to, to pay for something and somebody's already paid it for? I've I've ran into it a couple of times where I go to Starbucks or something and they go, it's it's free. You don't you don't have to pay anything. I'm like, what? Well, why? And they like a couple cars up from you uh, went ahead and paid for it. You know, well, there's there's I mean, simple stuff like that, like uh, buying an extra meal and giving it to somebody. Do you know what the person at the stoplight's going to do with that money? Who cares? Yeah. Just be nice to them because you know what? Your day is better than theirs because you're in a nice air-conditioned car. 
Uh, well, it makes so you feel good, and it makes and it's like you're starting to get the the dopamine influx that's make the you know the feel good hormone. Your stress level goes down. So biologically, it does doing good things for other people and having a more positive mindset will change like your chemical makeup. So um, one thing I've, I've read a lot about too with um, trying to change your mindset to you know think more positive is as well as journaling and getting down your emotions on what, you know, how you're feeling is actually writing things down that you're grateful for and reminding yourself. And it's cause I have a terrible time doing that. I, you know, and the same thing is like, get rid of the stigma and putting that shame on yourself that it may be corny, but because ultimately it's just you that's looking at it and reading it, but putting those, like being honest with yourself and allowing the walls to come down a little bit so that you can improve. I think that's, that's one of the first major things is, is to accept that it's, it's okay to be grateful for, for things. Cause a lot of us have dealt with traumatic experiences and have lost people and sometimes feel like we don't deserve what we have. So it's easy to stay in a negative mindset. You've got to find that thing that works for you. And, you know, a, a, a few of the things you, you were all talking about it, whilst works in America wouldn't necessarily work in the UK and you know the the whole pay it forward thing is is a great outstanding idea it's very very rarely done here in the UK and if somebody did that people would just think well what's going on here why why is somebody buying my drink or, or buying my meal what what they're trying to do you know and it, it's 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 culture again but it's finding that thing for me that makes you feel good and gets lifts your your um uh, your, your general outlook on things and you know whilst it, it could be helping somebody it could be knitting hats it could be taking the dog for a walk whatever it is and just fitting that into your life on a daily cycle and doing whatever it is that 10 minutes 30 minutes for yourself for you as an individual and whilst that might seem selfish it's not at all. You've got to take that time for yourself. Uh, and that's whether you're a military person or, or a civilian all your life. You know, everybody's got struggles in life in different levels and different expectations. But it's what the expectation is to that individual. You know, and whilst one thing might be important to somebody, it's not important to somebody else. It's, it's completely individual for the person. And you've got to find that thing that means something to you and then just work on that on a daily basis. And I, I think that's interesting. Sorry, Kat. Oh, well, you think what's interesting? Um, the, the, I mean, so talking the international differences and everything else, because, you know, we highlighted the social media piece and, you know, the being a nicer person and doing whatever. But outside of the military, one thing that's uniform is that internationally, we're, we're all more time poor than ever before, right? We're all more stressed and, and doing more with less and trying to do whatever. And yet we're all almost, you know, tying a bow on this conversation to a degree, right? We're all trying to keep up the, with the Joneses on social media. And, you know, we're going in the debt to get the new car or to get the new iPhone or to get the new whatever. We're doing things that we can't really afford or we're drinking to compensate our feelings from combat or we're doing whatever, right? So it's, it's horrific to me that no matter military, civilian, UK, American, Australian, or whatever, these problems are uniform, and yet we're still having conversations and trying to war game courses of action on how to deal with that. Like, pick up the goddamn phone and call somebody. 
like civilian, military, whatever. Get over yourself. Check your ego. You know, just because you're a, a combat killer or whatever, in your silver star, whatever, it doesn't mean that you have to always be an a-hole or a grumpy dude or Mr. Blunt or whatever. Like, quit eating our own. And I see this all the time on social media as well. One guy has a business idea. And Scott Garrett and I were talking about this yesterday, right? Like, I'm going to say all day long. Awesome. You know, great. Good luck. Best of luck. Safe travels to you. Hope it goes well. Hope you're the next Mark Zuckerberg and whatever else. But is that I might authentic? know he doesn't have a snowball's chance in hell, but I'm going to wish him the that's best. That's not authentic, and though. Well, it is that's authentic why people don't I mean hear, it. That's why people don't want to hear that, because it's not it's not authentic. Well, no, like, I do authentically wish don't... people the very best. Okay, so it's watered down. Even though you know there's a snowball's chance in hell that it's not going to work. Well, just because there's not a chance doesn't mean you don't want the best for someone. Absolutely. That's what I mean, though. I mean, if you if you so, feel and us being in a community like of veterans, if you feel that you like so and so's business, and this is what I was getting at with Scott um, for the UK, is that there <laughs> there are people as far as like resources and stuff that do know that do know that are professionals in that aspect. So if you want to be a better you, like you're wanting to start a business or you're wanting to do this and, and Scott Kinder says like, yeah, best of luck. You know, I'm here. Like if you need someone to talk to, uh, but being honest but about there's a snowball. You're making my point now. for me. So you're making my point for me. If you came to me and said, I'm going to start a business, I'm going to do whatever, right? I'm going to say awesome all day long. If you say like, do you have any ideas and or could you help me? Then I'm going to go down the, do you have your financing lined up and do you have this and do you have that and whatever? But because of most of us being type A meeting guys, we default to the snowball chance in Hellcat. Okay, then stop that. it. Stop it right now. Because that's exactly what you just said. No, no, no. I'm saying I'm using your words because you're telling everybody to knock their shit off and we need to call each other and get off the horse and do all this stuff. But that's not how reality works. That's not how this this works at all. Like we need to be authentic, and we need to actually like take the time. Like like Scott from the UK was saying, find something. I do authentically want them to succeed. I know. There's no part of me that doesn't. Who is them? (laughs) Like you're going back to the. Okay, I got that. You You have a dream in the image. No, no, but I'm saying with what what Scott from the UK had said is that finding something, like you said, that taking that time for yourself, and investing in that to make you a better person will give you the more positive outlook to go and do those things and open yourself up to other people's opinions and being able to, to get on the on the horn and call somebody and want to actually take a burden off of them. You see what I'm saying? So you improve yourself to improve others instead of just saying the quick line like, high five, you're awesome. When really there's two, there's two things here for me. Follow up with actions when I commit to something as far as helping or whatever else. So I am authentic. And when I tell any organization or any person I'm going to do something, I'm I've not never attacking you as a person. I'm just saying what your, your, your go-to is um, telling not everybody to wants that level of help. That- if somebody, when I go to the Greenberry Foundation or the Next Ridge Line or whatever, and they say, hey, you know, we would like you to help, I commit and do that. If I say, like, hey, great idea in the book, Scott Johnson, but I don't think a, a book on, you know, um, bikini shots of you in a banana hammock, you know, is going to sell very well. He doesn't want to hear that, right? I mean, he doesn't want to hear the negativity. I authentically want him to be happy and take bikini shots of himself and post them online if he wants to, but... I'm not going to tell him, you know, my fears is not going to sell and be marketable because I'm trying to embrace authentically his dreams of showing himself half naked online. I mean, that's an Amazon bestseller right there. Gold. I think think what you're pointing out is the passion that we all carry about this topic. I mean, because we, again, we've seen, um, you know, kind of our comrades in arms here struggling with some of these issues and yet we have our own way of thought process of how we'd go about doing it. And we've all offered some, you know, really cool things, but 
sometimes we can hit that trigger moment. And it's one of the very reasons, by the way, why some people don't help others is because it, how they may react, that trigger moment. You know, the uh, another thing that eludes folks uh, whenever they isolate themselves is they're not surrounding themselves with positive people because they are so isolated. And it makes a huge difference in anyone's life. It's kind of like the old adage that probably everyone's mother told them, hey, what are you doing hanging around with that person? Because that's what you're going to end up as. So you can try to surround yourself with as many good people as you can, or you can be that person that's positive for other people also. Uh, I would kind of the adage is you, you want to stay away from a smile thief yeah. because they're just going to steal your smile. You want to give people smiles and you don't want to be around people that are taking yours. But at the same time, there's that balance because you do have to give yourself uh, to help people. Yeah. Uh, but as a, as a veteran, I would say, you know, step one is that me time, like you guys talked about. Get yourself focused, grounded and on a good path to success, mentally, physically, uh, being stable. This, well, it's creating this, this new habits. It's reprogramming, yourself. absolutely. Reprogramming from the ground up. There's, a, a, again, um, an, an international thing here with, you know, the differences between the UK and the US and surrounding yourself with like-minded, positive people is, is easier said than done. In the UK, we don't, we don't have that many veterans. Stiff in, upper lip. <laughs> we got that as well. But just the, the, the population of it. So where, where I live, I don't really know any other veterans. In, in my immediate community. The only interaction I have with veterans is via social media. And I probably talk to you guys more than people I served with. I mean, I'm, I'm on Lucky Skype you. with you once a week. So, <laughs> you know, but it, it's in the US, it's, it's different because your population base is bigger. And I, I might be generalizing a little bit, but you know, when, when you're in cities, you've got a larger population of veterans around you. So it's easier to reach out and find a veteran-based community activity or group or something and immerse yourself back in that group of people. It's not as easy to do that in the UK because the veteran population is a lot smaller than, than what you've got in the US. So, I, you know, I, I guess I kind of I, I see what you're saying, Scott, but I think where I struggle is that even in America, less than – what is it, less than 1%, and you could probably even say about 0.5, you know, so a half a percent actually are serving currently on active duty um, as we speak. And then the veteran community is rather large. I mean, there's about 23 million, but still it ends up being, I think, on average about 2% or something like that, uh, under 3% of the total population. I think what you end up finding is more of what Scott Garrett was talking about, that, you know, you start looking for those like-minded people and you start uh, putting yourself in those circles of who you're associating yourself with. And what you end up finding is that some of those people, as you start digging deeper, you find out are veterans because that's what you did is you gravitated towards those people that are very similar to you. And through that conversation, and maybe, maybe that is a cultural thing, um, more than it is a percentage thing in that maybe in other countries, those types of conversations are not likely to occur in an open setting because maybe that's not socially uh, acceptable or it's not part of that culture. I think that's definitely, you know, part of it in the UK as well, Robert, is is the cultural part of being a veteran in the UK. And, and you know, like you just said about 
gravitating towards people and then finding out they are veterans. Often you'll come across people and be talking to them and it'll be, you know, 45 minutes or an hour into a conversation before it comes out that they served as well as you served. And it, it's not as open in the UK about being a veteran as, as it certainly is in, in the US. And I think that's a negative for us. Uh, we was having a conversation this week on um, on Twitter about something. And somebody came in with a comment that we shouldn't be calling ourselves veterans. You know, it, it's that's uh, what? And it, yeah, exactly. We shouldn't be calling ourselves veterans. You know, we, we're ex-servicemen. Because or ex-service women, because that can relate into a serving. But that, for me, service men and women relates into emergency services as well and those type of um, activities. How are they not uh, mutual, though? I mean, how are both of those things? How, how is one different than the other? I mean, they're basically veteran service. We, I always well, doesn't matter. Yeah, well, it I, doesn't matter. And yeah. it's it, it's a name ultimately at the end of the day, and it doesn't matter. But there was this whole debate then on Twitter about you've got the name veteran in the title you shouldn't be doing that you know and it's it's the negative outlook I don't wish of that being person all the best and that's authentic so <laughs> <laughs> they were a veteran themselves and they just they just were completely against the word veteran as a society maybe that's part of our problem again that we haven't actually had conversations we've had a lot of communication we're too hung up into titles and labels and those types of things and again can you imagine you know the individuals that have had multiple deployments that go away for long periods of time they try to socialize and especially at a very young age you're 18 19 20 years old you likely don't know what your purpose or passion is in life you only know one job and one life that you've ever had and that was serving in within the military and you come back and you try to actually transition into the private sector and you have all of these things like this that are going on that are trying to control your thought process or trying to make you into some other widget. And it's and it's a very challenging situation. I all think. while you're trying to figure out who you are and then right. back to a new and challenging environment. Yeah. And so we're talking about being a better me. Well, I, I don't know who I am first. That's that's the first well, thing. You know. Well, Sorry, Scott. There's one point in this that we all need to recognize as well is that being a better me means realizing that it's possible to be a better you. And that's another societal thing internationally that we've created this paradigm that we all think that we're the absolute best snowflakes that we can be. And I, and I choose that word intentionally, right? We're all unique and fragile and whatever. But being a better me means identifying ways to make yourself better because the last perfect person walked the earth, what, 2,100, 2,000 years ago? So, I mean, it's... the. Well, the other thing, too, whenever you when you've had a task, a clear task and purpose and you've been told what to do for two decades, say you retired multiple combat trips and now you're you're an officer, you're a sergeant major, you have a title. And so when all that's taken away yeah. and then your, your task and purpose is gone and your identity to a large extent is gone. And so it's very easy to slip into that uh, that that other area of addiction or whatever. Because you have to figure out what is my new task and purpose? Who am I now? Because I was 18 or 19 when I went into the service. Now I'm 40 with three or four years in combat, all these other life experiences where someone's been calling me by a title all this time. And so there's a huge identity crisis for folks when they're getting out. And to reach outside of those veteran circles even to say, well, before all I wanted to do is go shoot a pistol on the weekends. Well, I mean, you could still do that, but you may want to maybe engage in something else 
maybe pick up golf, riding a bike, I don't know, uh, but find a healthy, good for you kind of hobby that you can engage other people with because it'll bring out different conversations also. I, I would say that that still applies again for individuals that even are in a short term because if, if this is all the life that they've ever had, if they came right out of college or right out of high school or you know, in the UK as an example, or some other countries where they're very young, 16 years old when they go in and they may be four, you know, 20, 21 or 19 when they get out somewhere in that range. You know, I didn't know what I was at 19, 20, 21 years old. And so I'm coming, you know, you're, you're taking those individuals again, that's been in perhaps a very hypervigilant situation. That's been um, a, a very regimented, very disciplined type of environment, and you're bringing them back into a situation where they don't recognize you. And I mean, they, I mean, the loved ones that are around you, the friends that you left. But you know what? The reality is, is that Scott Garrett is a different person as soon as he left the bubble in the first place. So why are we trying to compare Scott Garrett to what he is uh, or was then to how he is now? We have to recognize that Scott has matured and we have matured to some degree as well. In some ways, you may have changed and for the better or you may have, you know, became more disciplined or something of that nature. If I start to try to uh, put my feelings or my beliefs of how you should act or how you should be or how you should conform or uh, those types of things, and you can't deal with that because um, it's just it, there wasn't really a transition is what we're try, trying to talk about here. Uh, I think that's where, you know, they don't have that nucleus, that support group. And maybe like, you know, Scott Johnson's talking about in the UK, you don't have those individuals that you can reach out to and talk to and you can't pick up the phone and call them because as you left the service, you kind of went your different directions. And so now it makes it more challenging. Now you're trying to rely on those people who don't understand you, who are trying to make you conform, who want to see you back to the way you were. And so it makes it all the more challenging and the crux comes available. You know, you have drugs, alcohol or those other types of things. And so then when you start thinking about the better me in a way that you can actually modify that, it's hard for you to do that yourself. You almost need somebody helping you through that. You're still trying to figure out who you are now as well. For, well, say you use that, that one term soldier, for example, who leaves home and within, you know, a year later, they're they're in harm's way and have traumatic events. And three years later, from the time they left their back, but they've been through so much, they really don't know who they are. Yeah. And all they've done think, is uh, is train, drink, party and and now they're back. And I now think anybody who joins up is, is a different person. Once you've done six months to 12 months you know once you've gone through the basic training process you're a different person to when you 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 arrived at the basic training on day one to the person you come out at the end of basic training and you know you, you'll you'll be scott 1.0 and then you'll be scott 2.0 and then you'll be scott scott 3.0 and you change so many times through your cycle whether you've done three years 13 years or 23 years so when you come out uh, and you transition out of the military, you haven't got a clue who you are now. And you, you've, you've got this whole new life in front of you that you don't have a clue uh, you know, about, especially if you've done a, a full term 20 plus years. You've gone in as basically a, a, a young adult, a, 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 an older child, effectively. I, I was 17 when I went in and some people are going in at, 
at 16 and, and maybe a little bit under that, you've, you effectively, you're still a child. And, you know, if you do 22, 24 years, you're coming out as an adult that's completely different from the child you were, but also probably completely different to every three or four years going through that process. And you've got to figure out now who you are now and who you want to be because you can still change that. You know, and, and that's one of the key skills for all of us who've served in the military is adaptability and the ability to change to our surroundings and do what we want with our lives. But, the, you know, and, and those of us in manufacturing and project management and things, the key to solving any problem is identifying it to start with. And if you don't address that there is an issue, you can't solve it. And that's where things like alcohol comes in. Because you won't identify that there's a problem to start with and you keep masking it then with, I'll have some drink or, I'll, you know, substance misuse, whatever it is. And you won't admit that there's a problem that needs fixing. You can't figure out who you are. You can't figure out what you want to do. You don't admit that you've got a problem. And that's where the spiral downward starts. Yeah, I'm all about root cause analysis. I mean, you go back and you start to identify what's truly happening and you've got to be open uh, to being, you know, introspective. You got to look internally and try to really analyze why is it the way it is. Um, that's a difficult thing for a lot of people. And, and quite honestly, you know, you mentioned in the business community or manufacturing and those types of things, it's difficult for businesses to do that. It's difficult for businesses. It's difficult for people to recognize that there is a flaw that's somewhere. There is something that needs to be corrected for me to get out of the behavior uh, as an organization or as an individual that I'm doing presently today. Yeah, you know, and it, it, it's unpelease, Robert. You know, and you do a 360 view of, of, around your department or around your cell or whatever it is you're looking at to try and solve the problem. And whilst we can do that in business, and it, it can be unpleasant if you're the, the manager or in charge of something, and you're looking at this 360 view of what the problem is and looking inwardly at yourself, to do that personally and look inwardly at your personal self is completely uncomfortable. And there's not many people will take the opportunity if somebody presents it to them, let alone admit to themselves that they need to do that. Well, and then, and then take that next step and get over the stigma that it is okay to go get help. Because that's another problem with the military at large and the, the culture is if there's something wrong, that for the longest, it was a weakness. And so getting getting past that to say, you know what? No, there's nothing wrong with identifying that I need help and going to get that help, whatever that could be. It could be a church. It could be therapy. It could be a, a friend of yours that you can call at three in the morning because you know that they'll pick up the phone, uh, but whatever that is. Uh, but to make make that call and take action is a very, very difficult thing for people to do in general. Well, they have to recognize, too, or understand at least that not everybody's perfect. And again, it goes back to what we were describing in the very beginning. What you see on the outside is not necessarily what's in the inside. So quit holding yourself to such a higher standard and realize that, you know, the, some of the flaws or things that you may be experiencing, others they have uh, as well, but it's in how they show it or how they demonstrate it. And, and maybe you're wearing your heart on your sleeve and holding yourself to a higher standard and judging yourself very harshly for it when the reality is the person next to you just uh, just doesn't display it and you think they have their all their stuff together and still you, until you start talking to them. 
I think it'd be good to really kind of give a summary as to what we're, we're talking about. And a lot of the things that we described, it really goes back to, you know, recognize that there may be something here that's going on that you need to correct, uh, correct, you know, reach out to the loved ones around you and start paying attention to the things that they're saying or how they're, they're acting or whatever, that they may be trying to help you identify that there's a problem here, especially if you're, you're constantly getting phone calls by, you know, to your loved ones or friends or whatever that are talking to you about how, how you need to make a change or that there's things you need to do or you have a crux such as alcohol or, or you know, some other issue that's going on here that you need to solve and, and start paying attention to those things and look for ways that you can start creating a better you from this thing. We talked about, you know, talking to others is one aspect of it. Taking some me time. Don't hold yourself to high standards. Get out and learn something new. Go out and affect another person in a positive way. You know, get outside more often and uh, be active in, you know, community or in some kind of service. You know, there's all kinds of different things that you can do along this line in order to become a better you and to help the situation as you move forward. You've got to want it as well, Robert, and, you you know, to start with, you've got to want to be a better you and, and accept that there's something that needs to change in your life. Yeah. And from that point, you can move forward then, and with, you know, with all those great uh, tips, if you like. But you, you've got to start with the step of admitting that there's something there. Well, and the other thing I think that can help a lot of folks is if they apply the same mindset to problem solving themselves as they did in the military. So, like you said, identifying that problem and then systematically going about that, I've identified it. Now, what are the things that I can do? And just going through that whole process, just like you would a mission, uh, be it you're going overseas, maybe you're going a training event, but everyone has a planning process, no matter what their occupational specialty was in the military, but they had processes that they had to deal with and fix problems on the job. But being able to apply that, because it's known to you. You know, I had a many, many deployments, and so there's a mission, basically the way that you plan for missions. So if you make yourself the mission just for a little bit, uh, it can also help because you also put timelines. Inherently, you put timelines on it. And uh, just by doing that, I think, be your own mission. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and at Facebook by searching at Mentors, the number four M-I-L, and please subscribe to our podcast. It's free, and it ensures you're the first to hear our latest podcast show. We have several options depending upon your device, and we're at iTunes, SoundCloud, at Stitcher, and at TuneIn Radio. Hey everyone, Robert here. I love supporting veteran-owned companies, and Mentors for Military recently partnered with Skeleton Optics to offer a 10% discount to our listeners. That's right, 10%. These aren't your regular run-of-the-mill sunglasses, by the way. The frames are handcrafted in Italy with Zeiss Vision lenses. Use the code MENTORSFORMIL or MENTORSTHENUMBER4MIL at SkeletonOptics.com and you'll receive your 10% discount automatically at checkout. Hurry up and get on over there to support a veteran-owned company.